Industry Focus thanks our sponsor, Datasite One from Merrill Corporation, the market-leading due diligence app for the entire M&A lifecycle, helping companies worldwide close more deals faster. To learn more and sign up for a free demo, go to merrillcorp.com fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, July 16th, and we're going to be putting Peloton through the IF Bootcamp. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I've got Fool.com's Dan Klein with me on Skype. Dan, what's going on, man? Uh, not too much. Just, uh, as you can tell, coming to you from my den today, because uh, a little bit of a parenting uh, conundrum this week. <laughs> I always like to see the setups that are remote uh, remote contributors have with their taping. Some people have the very nice, kind of elegant libraries behind them with all of the must-read business books. You've got kind of a simple layout behind you today. I, I, I generally tape from my co-working space, uh, but my my wife had to fly to Connecticut abruptly, so I'm sort of stuck uh, in the house and, and in and around. So I apologize for the very casual setup. <laughs> no worries, Dan. Our listeners can't tell. I think I think they hear you just the same, no matter what the setting is. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. <laughs> so, on today's show, we want to talk about a company that will be going public at some point soon. Uh, we do not have a public filing for this business, um, and that is Peloton. They have filed confidentially with the SEC, so there is some intent here to go public. We don't have a ton of specifics because we don't have the filing yet, but this was such an interesting story, and it tapped into such a big trend that you and I have both been following for quite some time that we wanted to discuss it, Dan. Yeah, it's really interesting that this is a company that would seem to be one of these like huge investments. You're going to look at the numbers and find out they're they're losing all sorts of money and attaining customers. And the reality is, they say they're profitable. Um, they're raising money sort of to fend off competition, not because they really need the money. And they've kind of created a business model that we're just starting to see others sort of latch onto. Yeah, it's kind of a new idea. Um, for the people that are not familiar, Peloton is probably best known for their stationary bike product. Uh, they also have a treadmill product, and they're working on a digital offering as well. But their basic uh, product offering is they have a package. The Low-level one runs about $2,200 for their stationary bike. That gets you the hardware. And then you have membership payments of $39 a month. The treadmill costs about $4,300 and has a same membership model. And the idea here is you have this fitness equipment that you can put in your home or perhaps in a shared space like a hotel. And then the membership payments get you access to this entire digital library of workouts. Yeah, they've created a market that's now called connected fitness. And what this does is it brings some of the communal spirit of, you know, taking a spin class. When you when you go to a gym, there's some encouragement from the teacher from seeing students around you. So with Peloton, obviously you can do taped classes, but you can also do live classes from their studios and you're getting sort of that interaction uh, and it makes it more communal. In theory, it kind of makes you want to do it more than just the traditional exercise bike that's a a very one-on-one experience. Yeah, they're trying to build that community and take advantage of the digital abilities that are out there. There are some that are likening it a little bit to the Netflix of fitness. We like using that type <laughs> of catch-all so much. It's so it's so tempting for us. Um, and they've they've decided to dive a little bit more into digital recently. They really started out with the stationary bikes, I think, back in 2014, um, and are now giving an all digital product as well. Uh, it's a Peloton app. I think for about twenty dollars a month, you can access their full 
whole library of workouts. So if you have an iPad or something like that at home, you can have these kind of curated and specific workouts targeting a lot of the stuff that you want to be working on. And it's worth noting that that's a very crowded space. There are a lot of workout apps. I actually, in the gym today, saw someone following along on their phone and doing an app. There's a lot of services for that. But with Peloton, their goal is that's almost like an add-on. If you've already paid for the gym and their services, that's a way to sort of use it when you're traveling, when you're when you're not at your physical bike. Because the negative of having your your Peloton bike or treadmill is that it's not all that portable. You're probably not going to bring it with you on vacation. No, it is a fairly large piece of fitness equipment. You know, I don't think anyone's bringing that to uh, the beach house for the summer, you know, if they're only there for 2 weeks. I think it's the kind of thing that tends to stay in one spot in the house. Yeah, and it's, you know, for any of you who are thinking, this doesn't look all that different from the exercise bike in your gym, except instead of the screen being a television or maybe even something that shows you a little bit of terrain or or gives you some some numbers on your workout, it's a live class where you can see the teacher or a taped class where you can see the teacher. Yeah, it's definitely worth looking at some of the videos, the promotional videos to get a better sense of what this looks like for anyone that has not attended a fitness class before or hasn't seen one online because there is this jazz to it. There's this excitement to it that I think um, is probably really motivating for people that are using Peloton devices. Yeah, and there's also, if you want to check one out, there's a pretty strong retail presence. We joked about this a little bit on Slack, but look around your area and whichever one the nice mall is, the mall that has all the fancier stores, Peloton often has, they're kind of pop-up kiosks, but they're, they almost are like pop-up exercise studios where you could get on one, you could try it out, you could sort of get some of the excitement of how this would work. And, you know, forgetting the price and the competition, it is a pretty cool product. Let's dive into some of the numbers that we do have. Like I said, we're a little limited here because we don't have their financials yet, but we do know that since beginning uh, selling bikes in 2014, the company has sold more than 400,000 bikes and they have over 500,000 subscribers for its memberships. Uh, and then, based on some comments from management, we know they're profitable, seemingly, uh, and that 2018 revenue was somewhere north of 700 million, which was up from about 400 million in 2017. Obviously, a lot of growth going on here, Dan. So, there's one number that's absolutely huge to me. They say they've retained 96% of their customers. And that tells me a couple of things. One, you know, when you watch the commercials for this, it's the beautiful people. And their Peloton is in, it's always in some amazing place, like, you know, like a vista behind them. And it seems to me that the early adopters of this would be people who are already pretty good about their fitness routine. So if they can hold on to those people, as it gets down to, I don't want to say regular people, but people who are not as committed to fitness, who sort of do this and see it as kind of the miracle cure, I'm going to guess the retention rates are going to stay pretty high. Because once you've invested $2,200, $2,400 in buying the bike, it's really hard to say, oh, I'm going to cancel my $39 subscription, which turns this bike into effectively a coat rack. Yeah, uh, there's, so there's got to be those, some element there of the the sunk cost, right? Incentivizing you to be more active. Yeah, and $39, and I'm actually very surprised the number was that low. I'd never looked into the cost before. Uh, and when you look at your gym membership, 
if you cancel your gym membership, you might as well just put on the social media, I've given up while you're eating a tub of ice cream or just squirting cookie dough directly into your mouth. So you're going to get a little bit of that like gym logic of, hey, I know I didn't use the Peloton last month, but I'm really going to use it every day next month. And that will work for them if they can continue to get the next level of people into the product. Because what I don't think they're going to do is the replacement cycle on these is going to be very, very long. Bike technology does not change that much. No, it does not. And I think so that we aren't shaming anybody and so that we're we're being candid here and giving a good feel for our perspectives on the fitness world, maybe we should talk a little bit about where we're coming from here, Dan. Because <laughs> I truly love putting a bunch of cookie dough and ice cream in my mouth. <laughs> so... We've talked about this before. Dylan is much younger than me and in dramatically better shape. You know, he's getting like fan mail from screaming teenagers. I am not. (laughs) That's all too flattering, Dan. I'm not the Beatles. (laughs) I know, know, but Dylan's a fit, good looking younger guy. I am 45 uh, and last year decided I was going to get back into running and super messed up my knee. Six months of physical therapy, uh, a lot of sort of sedentary by force behavior. And then about three months ago, I went back to the gym and I realized I work well with appointments. That's good for me at work. It's good for me in fitness. So I pay a trainer to come to my home gym. I live in a building that has a nice gym. And three times a week, we do a very hard, didn't start hard, but it's hard now, hour workout. Uh, And then he sort of holds me accountable. We text back and forth on days we're not working out. And it's been very good to make me go to the gym when I'm not with him. And also like when I'm on vacation, like I was on a cruise ship last week and instead of at midnight having a pizza, I had a piece of grilled chicken. So There you go, Dan. Am, That's restraint am, right there. Yeah, I'm putting an effort in to sort of get back to palatable. I, I was joking to uh, to one of our colleagues today that, that I'm trying to look more Hulk and less Endgame Thor, and that's a bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen that, but <laughs> Thor has let himself go a bit out of depression in that movie. So I'm working very hard, but my habits are more regimented and expensive than the way you're doing it. Yeah, uh, for the summer, I've been biking about 20 miles uh, each day to work to make up for the fact that the metro is closed. Uh, and I usually play soccer about once a week uh, in a DC rec league. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm biking a good amount. I play some sports, but um, I'll occasionally get down to the gym, but I'm not someone who's spending a ton of money uh, on fitness products. I think there are elements of both of our fitness tendencies that play into what someone uh, at Peloton would be targeting, but neither of us are necessarily the ideal target market for this product. No, I, uh, uh, if my building had a Peloton, I would probably use it twice a month just to shake things up. Uh, and because the, but when you go to a class and you're not physically there, there's no real accountability for it. Like, if I have an appointment with my trainer and I cancel, it costs me money. If he shows up and I don't put in a full effort, well, I've wasted time and money. Whereas if I'm doing it remotely, there's only so much encouragement. And you know, again, like I, there's people in my family. My aunt is super fit, and she was always the one that had the old Nordic Track ski machine and should use it all winter when you can't go outside. Peloton would be perfect for her because she goes to classes, but she's time constrained. For for someone like me, for someone like you, I'm not entirely sure at the price point. It's a very logical product. Yeah, and uh, you know there are definitely some internet memes about the stereotypical. <laughs> 
Peloton customer and the the place that it sits, uh, maybe in the home or in the home gym or something like that. You know, there was this tweet thread that went viral a little while ago, and it was from a Twitter handle at Clue Haywood, uh, and Clue said, "Love putting my Peloton bike in the most striking area of my ultra modern three million dollar house." And right, he, and, yeah, and go that's, ahead, Dan. That's sort of a brand lifestyle piece of this. You know, when you market exercise, you can do one of two things. You can be like, and I, I mean this jokingly, hey, fat, lazy slob, we're just like you. Try it. It's easy. You'll get in. And then, like, here are the amazing results you can have. You know, and, I, and I'm teasing a little bit because that certainly could be how you market towards me at various points. Then there's the person who looks like they don't need to work out because they just spent 19 hours at the gym and they go to an all-you-can-eat buffet and, and eat water. Like, you know, that's kind of the Peloton lifestyle. Everyone is super good looking. They're models. It's aspirational. Like you're supposed to believe that if you buy a Peloton three months from now, you're going to be a supermodel living in a mansion. And rationally, I think you understand that's probably not going to happen, but that's kind of where they're going. It's how a lot of the high-end gyms market themselves. You know, This is a gym you're going to come to that costs $200 a month where you put makeup on before you go. Yeah, this positioning is not limited to Peloton. I think you look at a lot of the boutique gyms out there. I'm thinking about Orange Theory. Uh, I'm thinking about some of the other really big ones, SoulCycle, for example. A lot of those are scenes kind of into themselves, and they are a place to be seen, and it's a kind of cultural community in addition to being a place where you work out. I think Peloton plays on that a little bit, except it is in the comfort of your home. Yeah, and I think that is a little intimidating, but I will point out that Peloton does have entry-level classes. Like, you, if you have never been on a bike before, and, and I went to a Peloton at the mall, I think I sent you a picture of, of me doing that, uh, and I asked them questions about, you know, could somebody who's never, like, you know, can my middle 60s mom, who's never in an exercise bike, or at least hasn't since the 80s, do this? And there's absolutely classes for all level, so they're not actually as exclusionary as their marketing would be, but they definitely want the marketing to be sort of upscale. And and I do think, and we'll talk about this in the second half of the show, I think that leaves them vulnerable in a certain level. Yeah, and actually, there are some tools that the company makes available that almost play into this visualize your future self <laughs> mode, where uh, if you're on their site and you're on mobile, at least on iPhone, uh, and you're checking out one of their products, you can use AR to place it in your home, and you can literally have the Peloton sitting in front of you, you know, in your corner or out in front of your windows, as they are in these advertisements. So there is this this element to the way that they are trying to market to people of like, hey, picture this and picture your future self a little bit. So Jason Moser and I talked about augmented reality a few weeks ago, and one of the things we talked about is how valuable it would be for sort of like trying on outfits and you know, geez, I wonder what I would look like in that hat or that pair of glasses. Now, you sent me an augmented reality picture of a Peloton in our office, and I'm familiar with that spot in the office, and I had to look at it and go, wow, did you get one of these to test out? Is this just a coincidence that we're doing a show and they drop one off? So it was 100% believable. That said, I don't need augmented reality to picture how an exercise bike might look like in my house. I have it's, it's not something that requires a fit, like a pair of glasses, where you might like it and it might not look good. I know what an exercise bike looks like. I know what my house looks like. I have the level of imagination it takes to figure this out. This isn't Pokemon Go, where they're blowing your mind. But it was kind of a cool piece of technology. Yeah, Dan, I guess I will just cut out one that I've printed and send it to you in the mail, so you can hold it. 
it up and then immediately be able to place it within your house. <laughs> yes, I'll give you my fax number later. <laughs> All right. We are going to be talking about what works and what might not work for Peloton, some potential headwinds and tailwinds for this business over on the back half of the show. Before we get over to that discussion, though, Industry Focus thanks our sponsor, Datasite One from Merrill Corporation, the market-leading due diligence app for the entire M&A lifecycle, helping companies worldwide close more deals faster. Why should you choose Datasite One? They have a quick setup, allowing new projects to be set up in minutes, easy document uploads and organization. Datasite One has simple, intuitive uploading and document organization with drag-and-drop controls to organize your data room and powerful tools for managing folder and document access permissions. They also offer redaction. Datasite One is the only due diligence app with redaction and unredaction integration, helping manage this typically time-consuming process in half the time of standalone tools. And ironclad security, of course. Multi-level controls and permissions prevent accidental information sharing, and advanced watermarking provides added security to documents. To learn more about Datasite One and sign up for a free demo, go to merylcorp.com/fool. Speak to an expert at Datasite One, like our team did, and learn how to accelerate your due diligence. Again, that's m-e-r-r-i-l-l-c-o-r-p.com/fool to sign up for a free personalized demo. We thank Merrill for their support. All right, Dan, like so many of the unicorns that have gone public in 2019, there is some serious demand for shares of Peloton. I've heard and read that there are a lot of people that are pretty excited to see this company go public. What has you excited about this business? Well, they, they've carved out a brand, and that does mean something. Um, but I'm not that excited <laughs> about this business, only because... They are hitting one piece of the market. Call it the soul cycle crowd, the 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 pricey, the fancy, the good looking fitness people, the the wealthy. And when you look at sort of where the market is going, every existing fitness brand has the ability to move into connected fitness, and they might have the ability to do it by offering an add-on for products that are already out there. So if you look at who's going into it now, brands you've heard of, the, the, the really the name brand is Nordic Track. Nordic Track has always done infomercials and advertising. They've been a very public-facing brand. They sell direct to consumers with, with financing. They have some stores. And they're offering Peloton-like products of all the different sort of cardio machines they make. And for your average consumer, that might be more appealing than Peloton. There's also some, let's call them sport-specific. There's one called Hydro, which lets you, it's a rowing machine, and it same sort of premise as the bike. There's one for boxing, where you could take virtual boxing classes. Um, there's... Uh, there's another one that's called Mirror, which is a mirror you put on your wall that shows you you have access to gym workouts. So you might take a yoga class. You might take a strength training class. This space is going to become very, very crowded, uh, and that's without what if Planet Fitness starts offering you know, uh, at-home classes to members? What if any of the other studios sort of makes things available? There's just a lot of potential competition, and I'm not really sure what the advantage they have is other than branding. What we've seen so far with Peloton uh, is that most of their ads seem to be targeting the individual buyer, the consumer, right? They are not saying, uh, go to this hotel and use it, or go to this gym and use it, at least for most of the spots that I've seen out there. It's much more, this is something that is in your home. 
Uh, I wonder though, at the price point for these products, you know, is this something where more of the customers might ultimately be people that are enabling a ton of people to use it instead of it being a device that sits in one person's home? Yeah, I mean, health clubs are about forty percent of the connected fitness market, and I think there's obviously an ability to bring this into, you know everyday gyms where maybe there isn't always a class going even the fancy gyms might have you know classes from the 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 main hub in New York or wherever it happens to be and the reality is Peloton would be working against fitness companies that already have a sales rep network that sells to your national chain gyms so if you're Peloton, one, you have to create a commercial product, which is going to be a higher grade of steel, a more durable bike than you know a home bike, which gets used uh, an average of 13 times a month. Even if you have two or three people in the house that use it, that is not the equivalent of being in a gym where it's going to be used hour after hour and you need a maintenance program. So yeah, I think those are all markets for Peloton, but it's going to be hard for them to get in. Even something like selling to my home gym or your home gym in our building the companies that already sell to those places, they have an advantage. So do they have to take on reps? Do they have to be sold by a third party? They're sort of going to be fighting an uphill battle. The flip side of that, I will say, is by creating this aspirational brand, they are, I think, able to create some pull for their own products or create cachet for places that would be putting their products there, right? If you are trying to be the hip apartment building in Columbia Heights in D.C., uh, you might have a Peloton instead of just your average stationary bike. The the building across the street from me uh, in West Palm Beach is a sort of hip, fairly expensive rental building connected to the the, the brand new ultra high speed train, uh, and I could see place like that advertising as an amenity. We have Peloton machines. There's absolutely that piece of it, um, and, and that's a nice market. But what I don't see this brand becoming is eight or nine times bigger. Can it get? Can it become a $2 billion brand? Maybe. But at some point, does it hit a life cycle where, yes, it's hit all, it's hit all the places it can go, and there's not that many new customers coming in? Because again, how many people are buying, how many businesses are buying a $2,400 or a commercial one, say a four dollars or $5,000 bike, and how often are they replacing it? It's not going to be that often. Now, is your commercial subscription going to be higher? And are they, they don't really have a lot of added cost for more subscribers. This isn't Netflix where they have to make exercise classes that appeal to an incredibly vast array of people. There's somewhat of a limit to it. And if you're doing, you know, one studio with three different, uh, you know, gyms that has live classes going every 20 minutes, that's probably going to cover your bases pretty well. And then your taped archive just becomes enormous very quickly. One thing I do think is pretty smart with how they've set this business up is, you know, we talked about the difficulties of the hardware business. And I think those difficulties are there whether you're selling iPhones, TVs or these incredibly specialized fitness devices. You know, the upgrade cycles are very hard to anticipate. The inventory decisions that you have to make are really difficult, and you need to keep coming out with hit products and expanding your portfolio. What they have done well is say, you need the hardware to really be in this. You can access it elsewhere, but if you have it in your home, then you're like, you're hardcore, you're in this. But we have this recurring super high margin revenue coming in from memberships, and I imagine those content costs scale over time, and it all becomes incremental uh, for every user they're able to add. 
Yeah, and I think, look, if this was a private company that I was having a chance to get a piece of, I think it's an amazing business because they already make money. I see no reason, you know, in the next three years they couldn't triple their user base, which has almost no incremental cost in terms of, of added content. So that $39 a month per, you know, another 1.4, 1.5 million people is just really highly profit. That said, there is a pressure as a public company to show growth quarter over quarter, month over month, year over year. And I do think this tops out. And the ability to have a next product, if I already have an exercise bike and that gets me into shape, am I going to want a rowing machine, a climbing machine, a, a, a Peloton, I don't know, slow cooker? I'm not sure what the, <laughs> the next angle would be. In a lot of ways, this to me is like a GoPro-like play where you could be very successful and still not be a good publicly traded company. Yeah, I think the the services or the software ambitions for them, in this case content, um, much further along than GoPro was and Fitbit has been. You know, both of those companies were hardware companies trying to say, hey, we're platform businesses. I think that Peloton has the money to back it up. They have the built-out subscriber base and that's there. Um, we we threw out some pretty big numbers when it comes to the cost of running one of these things over the course of the year. If you were to buy it and then use it every single month, and they are big. I mean, that is not an inexpensive amount of money to lay out. I will say, if you are someone that is in that market and you are regularly going to a Soul Cycle class, uh, you know, every couple days, I ran the numbers and fly <laughs> because I I couldn't help myself, Dan. Uh, Flywheel offers a package that lets you do twelve classes a month for about two hundred and twenty-five dollars, and if you use that as a benchmark, you would be breaking even on buying a Peloton in a year. And you'd have the benefit of taking more than 12 classes each month and being able to do it from home. So there is a market where I think this makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And even like when I lived in Connecticut, I was a member of a gigantic yoga studio. And it was, let's call it 140 a month, somewhere in that range. And there were two studios. So there was classes, you know, every hour, every 90 minutes, there was a lot of choice. But even then, there wasn't always choice. There was an endless choice. If I had the ability at home to start almost whenever I wanted or whenever I wanted with tape stuff, that's an advantage for Peloton. And clearly, you know, an average CrossFit gym is going to cost you over $100 or close to $200 a month. So there's absolutely people spending this for fitness. I'm spending dramatically more than this for, for fitness. And hopefully I get in good enough shape that eventually I don't have to do that and could consider some of these sort of alternatives. But even when you look at like what an orange theory costs, which is much cheaper per class, if you're going regularly, once you've paid for the bike, the $39 a month is that's a mid-level gym membership. Yeah. And and I think it makes sense for the hardcore users. I worry a little bit about how deep the market is for those people. And I think we've also seen the rise of things like ClassPass, where people like the class atmosphere of fitness, but they don't want to do the same thing all the time. You know, Sometimes it's a bar studio, sometimes it's yoga, sometimes it's more of like a Barry's Boot Camp type thing, which my roommates do at 6.30 in the morning while I'm sleeping. <laughs> everyone, everyone has their shtick. I do worry about the repetitiveness of it. If, if I had a Peloton, well, there's only so much you can do with a bike. <laughs> it's not, you know, you can't turn a bike into a rowing machine. You can't turn a bike into a strength training workout. Uh, so there are limitations. And what else could they sell you that changes that up? And I'm not sure that that if I was a hardcore sort of exercise enthusiast, 
would I be would it be worth it for me to spend twenty four hundred dollars and thirty nine dollars a month for something that was only part of my workout routine? But I do think for some people the answer will absolutely be yes. And you know they've shown with seven hundred thousand bikes and you know how many the excuse me four hundred thousand bikes five hundred thousand subscribers clearly there's an audience for it. The question is how big is that audience and can they fend off the competition? Yeah, we will definitely be digging into the filing once we have full access to it. Uh, I think in the meantime, you know, there's an interesting business here. What it really comes down to is can they set up some of those really great uh, relationships with people that would be footing the bill so that other people can use them, the hotels, the fitness centers, that kind of stuff. I think the business gets a lot more interesting there. I'd love to see some more metrics on retention. We saw we saw that 96%. I worry that that's a little bit early adopter focused, and I want to see what some later cohorts of customers look like. Right. And the other question is, can they come up with things like their digital only product and attract a new audience? You know, you, you, you have a bike. Can they come up with a $250 thing your dock your bike sits in that gives you Peloton-like access that doesn't undercut their regular market because the average person who's exercising maybe isn't also a cycling enthusiast? Can they come up with programming that's maybe not exercise-based? Maybe they're going to take me to a through a, a tour of the countryside, you know, and, and use some of the AR technology and, and do other things with it. Can they fend off the fact that Best Buy has opened up Connected Fitness as a category? and is representing a lot of other brands, but not Peloton. So there's going to be a lot of competition here, and they are very well set up. This is going to be a successful company. The question is, will it be a successful public company? Absolutely. And I think those are the kinds of things that take it from what is now roughly a $4 billion business to something multiples of that. Of course, the road there won't necessarily be easy. Um, this is certainly a topic that I would love to hear from some of our listeners on. So, if anyone wants to write in with some of their fitness habits, whether or not they have their eyes on a Peloton bike, maybe considering checking out their app, or if there's any other dedicated fitness uh, programs or devices out there you think we should check out, I would love to hear from it. Because obviously, Dan and I are somewhat in this market, but not totally in this market. Um, and I mention this because we've gotten some really awesome boots on the ground reports from listeners recently. A couple in particular, James from Ireland, who gave us the lowdown on his experience at Luckin Coffee in China, and uh, from Lisa, who spotted some Uber bikes over in Europe. Always fun to get those messages, Dan. And if anyone wants to commiserate about trying to get back into shape as a 45-year-old father, I am more than happy, or mother, or frankly, anyone, I am more than happy to share war stories and be supportive of anyone out there. You are at Worst Ideas on Twitter, right, Dan? I am. <laughs> All right. If you want to reach out to Dan, you can catch him at Worst Ideas. And he has a lot of great ideas. That just happens to be the title of the book that he wrote. <laughs> it, yeah, I was going to say, I, I kept the handle because it was the title of my book, and it's kind of funny given that obviously I'm trying to give you good ideas when I appear on these shows or, or write for Motley Fool. <laughs> I always think you bring plenty of good ideas to the table. Thanks for joining us today, Dan. I appreciate that. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, that does it for this episode. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can catch us at MF Industry Focus on Twitter or industryfocus at fool.com via email. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can catch the videos from the podcast on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. For Dan Klein, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!